Hello there, I'm Austin Bristow, and you're listening to On The List. For episode 33 on Sunday, February 27th, I'm joined by the manager of the Pitcher List Podcast Network, Adam Howe. Adam, thanks for joining me. Yeah, man, it's been, uh, it's been a long road to finally get here in front of a mic with you. Uh, I am, uh, I'm happy that we finally made it. How many delays did we make? How many? I think a total so we've of... We've been trying to schedule this since around... <laughs> early to mid-November. Um, right. There's been many twists and turns along the road. Like we had, I think about four or five times now, we've had like, okay, we're doing this date, this time, it's going to work. And then something would happen on in your world or something would happen in my world and be like, let's try next week. And then like something big would happen and be like, let's give it a month. And <laughs> finally, we have been Here able we are. to sit down together and make this happen. It's been, I found it particularly um, troublesome on my end that it was you in particular that had such issues because you are in all technicality, my boss. That's a weird way of putting it across picture list. Um, I think technically we only, we all have just one boss and he will, he will stay nameless at this time. Um, but, uh, that's, if that's how you want to view it, that's fine. I'm pretty sure I couldn't fire you Austin if I wanted to, but, uh, not, not that that's ever crossed my mind. Um, no. <laughs> oh, if it hasn't crossed your mind at least once, then I, I would question your manager. <laughs> but for those of you who have not listened recently, here on On The List, I am joined by a writer, or in this case, a manager from the Pitcher List staff. We talk baseball, we'll discuss what they've been working on recently, and at the end, we'd like to do a mailbag session where we answer your questions. You can send those questions directly to me on Twitter. I am at Bristowski, or even better yet, I ask every week for them in our Pitcher List Plus Discord server as the best way to get your questions in there. But Adam, where can the people find you on Twitter? Let's see. On Twitter, I'm in uh, two places mostly. Uh, first of all, my baseball Twitter handle is at 80 grade. That's all spelled out. And then uh, even more so where I'd rather people follow me would be on my own podcast Twitter feed. That's on at on the wire pod. Uh, so I do that podcast alongside Kevin Hastings, the 2020 TGFBI overall champion. Got to get that plug in there. Uh, it's one of the main reasons why we've been so successful <laughs> on that podcast Absolutely. is uh, got to have that name recognition, got to have that uh, that swag that Kevin brings to the table. Um, so yeah, at On The Wire Pod uh, and at 80 Grade on the Twitter. Got to say the uh, the personal Twitter handle there expert level twitter handle i was i was very very good i was psyched when it was available i think i did look up at 80 degree with an eight zero and that was not so i went all spelling and i actually prefer that as anyway i do technically have the at adam howe twitter handle um i grabbed it like when twitter started or when you were first able to get twitter just so i had it uh i have my own name's twitter handle i don't ever use it, uh, but I have it and nobody else can have it. And that's just me being petty, uh, but that's okay. <laughs> yep. The last time that uh, at Adam Howe had sent out a tweet, <laughs> pop quiz, what, what was the date and what was the tweet about? Oh, that that's a good, up. that's a good, I have to look it up because I have no idea. Um, I'm going to, all right. If I'm going to guess the last time I used that handle was probably, had to have been like 
2013. Um, I'll go with like August 2013, and it probably had to something to do with a Dizzy Llama, it, it, which we'll get to a little bit later. Dizzy Llama related thing. So you are way off <laughs> on both. Uh, the most recent tweet from at Adam Howe was December 11th, 2020. Oh, wow. Really? Why? <laughs> uh, you tweeted about uh, Spider-Man 3, oh, which has now come out. <laughs> uh, you were talking about your simple end credit scene for Spider-Man 3, where Peter is headed to college and moving into his dorm or apartment where his assigned roommate, Johnny Storm, has already started unpacking. That would have been awesome. It would have been awesome. And really, you weren't that far off on kind of the direction they went on, you know, really bringing those Fox franchises together. You weren't that far off. So I'm pretty impressed, actually, with the Admitted, two admitted years ahead of time. Admittedly, I still haven't seen the movie, um, but I am not one of those who shies away from spoilers, uh, to you, be honest. You so, really ought to see it. I know. I, I, I know. spectacular. I, I do feel like I've seen... Twice. I, I feel like I've seen it uh, through pieces of, again... I, I don't shy away from spoilers. I, I'm not, I don't mind that. I'll still get the full uh, feeling of when I finally do see the movie. But um, yeah, I was, uh, I, that's funny that I actually use that handle that's to do that. Fantastic. Well, all right. We've beat around the bush plenty already. People are listening here because they want to know who is the manager of this entire podcast network here at Pitcher List. So as always, I'm going to start you off with a nice open-ended question here. Just tell us a bit about yourself, Adam. Oh man, that is open-ended, isn't it? Um, that's what we're going for. So. Right. <laughs> Let's see. Well, um, I started off in 1982 being born. I'm not going to go that far back. Uh, that's exactly the kind of the origin idea. story. You want the full origin story? Let's let's go. I've got I've got all the time in the world. I do not because my son is napping and he only naps for a certain amount of time. And so I'm going to I'm not going <laughs> to. All right. We'll, 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 we'll move it on. All right. Uh, no, I mean, I I mean, I grew up in, I guess, suburbia, I guess it's not it wasn't true. Suburbia is pretty close to it, though, um, in Western Massachusetts. Um I say West Massachusetts because if I try to say the town name, everybody's like, or so I don't know what that is. It's a small town. It's called Agawam. It actually it was actually pretty cool. It has the very first zip code in the entire country. Oh. If anybody doesn't know, zip codes are the first two numbers are like the overall general area. And the last three numbers are like the specific like neighborhood or town, depending on how many zip codes your city has. It's 01001. So that's pretty cool. Uh, I assumed when they were giving out zip codes, when they first did it, they did alphabetical order in, in, in the Northeast um, and Agawam starting with an A got the first one. That's, so that's, that's, that's cool. Wild. And uh, yeah, I mean, I went to, I ended up moving out to Boston or the greater Boston area for college uh, lived in Boston proper. Cause it's very specific. People from Boston will understand that if you don't actually live, if you can't get your mail by typing in, Boston comma Massachusetts on the on the envelope then you don't live in Boston if you live in Cambridge if you live in Somerville if you live on the Cape you're they're not in Boston so you don't yeah. live in Boston stop doing stop saying that um, I lived in Boston proper in the north end um, little Italy for those who are not aware at all um, of Boston area 
And uh, for a while, it's where I met my wife, or now wife. We moved out to Oakland, California, um, which I miss dearly to this day. Uh, spent about nine years there, so better part of a decade uh, in Oakland, California. Um, and now I live in Indianapolis, of all places. Um, jumped around a little bit in, in, in that little... I spent a year in Clearwater, uh, Florida, uh, back in like 2006, and... All the while doing a whole bunch of stuff. I, you know, I, I, in college, I ran my college radio station, thought I was going to do music for my entire, my career, what have you moved into, sorry, waiting tables. And I'm like, Oh, at this time I make plenty of money doing this. I don't need to rush anything. And of course, in my early twenties in Boston, uh, big college town, big, you know, pretty, pretty low age range of people that live there. So it was a fun time. And there was no need to rush through anything at that time. So moved into more of a sports directed uh, area of my professional life. Uh, Took an internship with the Toronto Blue Jays down in Dunedin, Florida, Clearwater, Dunedin area, for those not aware. And it is pronounced Dunedin. I know there was a lot of like back and forth back in 2020 when the Blue Jays were playing their regular season it was either Dunedin or Dunedin or Dunedin. Dunedin. Oh, I didn't hear that one. That one's a good. One. That's a good one. <laughs> very, very Tolkien there. Um, and that was fun. I never want to go back uh, to Florida. <laughs> Sorry for those Ian's, Ian's Ian specifically. Uh, I, I, I'll go back to visit. I'll go to spring training and I'll spend like a week. I'll probably bring my kids to uh, to Disney World at some point. Uh, but I, yeah, I definitely don't want to spend any elongated t- period of time in the state of Florida. Um, I also was there for a year where I was making like $800 a month and 700 of it went toward my rent. And I rented uh, a house with the other two interns, Yeah, which was great. But like it literally gave me $100 a month to do nothing with. Um, so yep. ate, ate, all my, uh, ate all my meals at the ballpark whenever possible. Um, Just subsisting off of... Hot dogs it was, it, what was really funny is that the cheapest thing you can get really at like it's for meals at home at that point are like cup of noodles and sure. and hot dogs. And so literally in at home, all I would eat was hot dogs. So I wouldn't eat hot dogs at the stadium. Um, and I mean, their hot dogs were fine. They were nothing to, they weren't a Fenway Frank or, or anything or, you know, whatever. So I wasn't, uh, I wasn't too heartbroken about it. Uh, yeah, I mean, now I'm, you know, I moved to Oakland from Boston after I moved back to Boston from Clearwater because I was done there. And when I went to, when I moved back to Boston, I was interviewing for major league teams and, and what have you. And um, none of them came to fruition. And then when that, when it came to, it came to a point where I'm like, all right, well, I can either move cross country with my girlfriend and see where that leads me or not do that. And it was kind of a no brainer. So I decided to move uh, to Oakland, California, best decision I ever made. Um, And fell in love with Oakland, to be honest. Uh, If anybody who hasn't been to the Bay area, um, it is, I don't think people think about Oakland as like when they say the Bay area, they think of San Francisco, they think of Sonoma, they think of Palo Alto and and, and what have you. Oakland is 
by far the best part of the Bay Area, in my opinion. Um, you know, we lived in Oakland, California for a long time. And we, when we moved there, we're like, all right, we'll, you know, we'll stick around for a year or two. And then maybe we'll move across the bridge and we'll move into the city, San Francisco, nicknamed the city in the area. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe we'll move somewhere else. Maybe we'll move up the coast, move up to Seattle or Portland. You know, we got nothing tying us down. And we just never wanted to leave. Um, so we moved like two or three times. Yeah. Well, that's <laughs> after nine years, things happen. Um, and you realize many things, many priorities change over the course of a decade and whether it's uh, family growing, which it did uh, birth of our first uh, my, of our daughter, our first kid um, back in 2016. And then we realized we dabbled in the idea of trying to find a house that we could purchase. We've been renting the entire time we were there and we were in the Bay area in the, in the teens, the 20 teens, whatever that's, whatever the name of that is called. And we realized, yeah, that's not going to happen. That's not happening. <laughs> um, and so we moved to Indianapolis where my wife has, where grandma and grandpa are um, for my wife's uh, parents. Um, it was either that, you know, we decided we're going to move somewhere cheaper w- w- near family. And I'm sorry if my parents are listening to this, I apologize, but like we did had no interest in moving to Springfield, Massachusetts. Um, <laughs> and so Indianapolis, it was at least Indianapolis was like this, you know, still a major metropolitan area. There's still stuff going on and it's fine. It's great. We 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 are happy here. We own a house, which is not something we could ever have done in the Bay Area. Yeah, yeah. I imagine that, you know, the – I don't know anything about your home, but I imagine that it would – if you just plopped it down somewhere in the Bay Area, it would be worth maybe seven times what it is. I'll go 10. Is. I'll go 10. Okay, without, without putting any actual dollar amount on there. Um, it's easily a 10, maybe 15 times, um, yeah. pretty much anywhere in the city of Oakland, California. And that's not even trying to plop it into San Francisco or the surrounding yeah. areas. I, yeah, I, as a, as a Midwest, uh, local or grown up in the Midwest, I, uh, definitely understand that one of the biggest draws is cost of living is pretty darn low it you can be very comfortable very easily well it's moving up i mean a little bit only because i only say this because after we bought our house you know we i i created an account on like redfin and like zillow and those um, you know the apps that people you know you look at just because you want to look at nice houses and what or or what's happening in your area but i get emails all time from them saying hey the valuation on your house is x amount of dollars i'm like oh that's more than we paid for it. And it keeps going up incrementally. And I know that's the housing market right now, what have you, but well, it's nice to know that my investment is actually <laughs> accruing the way it's Absolutely. supposed to. Um, and that we got in at the right time. So hopefully that continues to work out because we're not, we're, I'm actually recording this in a temporary housing facility um, in like an apartment because we are doing some work on the house and is not quite livable for the next two and a half months. Um, and so hopefully what we're doing to the house will, you know, continue to grow that investment. Just that statement alone gave me the most anxiety. You know, <laughs> tell me a little bit about uh, your baseball experience. Grew up in Massachusetts and I, that I assume would put you firmly in the Red Sox camp. It, it, I, I don't think the because of where in Massachusetts I was, um, I, your assumption is not as str- 
strong as it should be. Um, so Western Massachusetts, and we, I was right on the Connecticut border. Um, there were definitely, Connecticut goes either way. Um, so like you're too close to New York City to like have no fans at all, but you're still in New England and like the Red Sox hold over the New England six states, um, I think is strong. But there's plenty of Yankees, specifically Yankees fans in that general area. So I think I'm like, I'm on that cusp. Um, I didn't know a lot of Yankee fans growing up. um, So maybe it's not as, you know, strong as I'm making it out to be. But yes, I am firmly in Red Sox camp, um, have been my entire life. Um, And I, I think it just happened naturally, though I will say that my uncle, who is, Grew up in Springfield, Massachusetts, but lives in, as far as I remember, lives in Annapolis, Maryland. Biggest Red Sox fan, literally knows any stat, any anything, way more than I ever will um, about there. He goes to the Red Sox fantasy camp every year um, in Florida, and uh, he probably had an influence over it as well. Um, it's one of those things where it's like being a Red Sox fan, if you have family that is a Red Sox fan, you're you're not allowed to be a fan of anything else. Of course. Um, and so we'll see, we'll see if I can keep that going strong with my two kids. Um, but they're, they're probably too young. Well, they are, they're too young to like be uh, influenced that much at this you're point. Very wrong. Uh, your daughter is, <laughs> you said your daughter is what? Six years old. Seven she years just old? turned six years old. Okay. So uh, let me tell you a quick story about uh, when my dad had his first kid. Um, he's my father, huge Atlanta Braves fan, uh, despite growing up in the middle of Illinois. Um, and he thought to himself, you know, I'm going to let my son decide which team he's going to support it. And that way it will be, it will come naturally that, you know, being around his father, watching Atlanta Braves games with me, he will naturally gravitate towards being a Braves fan. It'll be fine, and that will make it all the sweeter. Um, the babysitter uh, then brainwashed his son into being a Chicago Cubs fan with uh, stories of the great Sammy Sosa and whatnot. And it wasn't until you know, 10, 12 years later that I was able to transition from being a Cubs fan back to an Atlanta fan. So <laughs> you made the no, don't let your kids just kind of figure it out. You have to just say in this household, we support the Red Sox. The problem, the problem is, I mean, my wife is indifferent. I mean, she's a Red Sox fan because she grew up in Indianapolis and she didn't have a baseball team. They have my, we haven't, triple a team here i think at the time she was growing up they were a reds affiliate but now they're a pirates affiliate um and so she was at college and spent years in boston like myself and so i mean by default she ended up being a red sox fan but we lived in oakland for nine years so we have a soft spot for the a's and the giants and i'm be the first one to say you can't root for both the a's and the giants uh, but if oh, you're no, if you're an right. actual fan of one of the teams, I'm not, so I don't I don't think it matters as much. Um, and so it was nice to be in the Bay Area during all those uh, Giants World Series runs. So that was fun as well. Um, it was also fun to live in Oakland, where I could go to a game anytime I wanted, whenever I wanted, and pay as li- and pay as little as I wanted to, <laughs> to, just get standing room seats and sit wherever I wanted for the most part. 
Um, so that aspect of first baseball game, my daughter Parker ever went to, um, I think she was, she wasn't even one years old yet. And it was A's obviously it was at the Coliseum. I apologize to her in advance now as she starts to realize that I brought her to probably one of the worst stadiums in major league baseball at the time, hopefully by the time, uh, she's aware that they have a brand new stadium that will be gorgeous on the water. But that's a whole different um, series of podcasts, probably uh, talking about the the athletics situ, uh, stadium situation oh, in, that, in that the city of be, Oakland in the county of Alameda. That could be a whole series in and of itself. <laughs> messy, messy stuff there. Okay, so I understand. You know, you're, you're a little split, definitely in Red Sox camp. The, so, if I were to ask you about a favorite player of yours. I'm really hoping that he is wearing red. <laughs> mostly white because their home jerseys are mostly white. Um, but yeah, no, I mean, I think I saw this on your, your question. It was it was tough, man. It's like I wanted to like make sure that the players I'm thinking of are like they're yes, of course, they're going to be a Red Sox player. Um, but they also like I'm not one to pick like a historical figure just for the sake of like, I'm not going to say Ted Williams. I like, I didn't get the chance to see Ted Williams play. Yes. He was amazing. Yes. You know, greatest hitter of all time type of uh, uh, arguments can be made, but I think I'm, I'm, I, I lean toward Dustin Pedroia. And the main reason is, is that, you know, I've got a soft spot for players of any team that spend their entire career with the same team. Now that's not to say I fault any player for leaving and getting paid by all means. I, want that for every player that deserves it. Uh, but he found a way to get the contracts he wanted and stay with the team where he had so much success early on in his career um, and work through, uh, you know, the terrible injury he got from, you know, Manny Machado. I'm just calling that out. It's Manny Machado's sure. fault um, yes, that he I missed the, the the last part of his career. Um, and I, I'm also a number 15 guy or number 15 throughout you know my little league career um and uh so it's the only it's the only jersey i have that doesn't have a name on it and red sox home jerseys don't have names on them one of the few teams that that's like that's the case uh at least their their standard home jersey they have some Is alternates now. The Sox and the Yankees now i believe the cubs i don't know if the cubs added names um to their their standard home jerseys uh but yes the yankees definitely don't as well Definitely one of the some of the older teams. That's the tradition that that's the case. Um, but the other the other one that was always my favorite was uh, Kevin Euclidus, and I do not fault him for moving on. Uh, he went overseas for like at least a partial season, if not a full season. I know he did technically have some at bats for the Yankees, but it wasn't the same as Ellsbury or or Johnny Damon or any, or even you know Boggs or what have you. Um, so I would say that Euclid was always one of my favorites as well. Plus the man currently owns and runs a brewery, um, which we can get into a little bit later, but oh, yeah, Loma, Loma brewing uh, um, in out in the, out Definitely in the, nice. in the peninsula in the South of San Francisco. Uh, great shout out to, to that brewery and what they do. And their beers are great. I had obviously had a, had to make a had to make a, a trip out there from Oakland while I was there, um, and uh, they uh, they do some good stuff. So, you Kevin is doing a great job in his new ventures outside of baseball, and hopefully he keeps killing it. 
So on the uh, note of names there, the Yankees and the Red Sox do not have names on their home jerseys. Yankees also don't have them on their away jerseys. The only other team that has anything going on like that currently is the Mariners on their cream alternate jerseys uh, do not have names. But specifically on their alternates, that's interesting. Correct. There have been throughout the last few years uh, times when the Giants, Cubs, Dodgers, Twins, etc. have done without names on the back. But at the moment, those are the only three teams that have done so. Yeah, and I get it. And it was it's the idea that, like, it also goes back, obviously, a long period of time ago. And you talked about how your dad was you know, an Atlanta fan, even though he grew up in Illinois. Um, there are only so many teams before, like, expansion started happening out west. Like, the reason why the Cubs are so, you know, well-regarded from west of the Mississippi is that literally they were the only team anybody west of the Mississippi could follow, them and the Cardinals. Um, and so the Braves had a big foothold when they moved uh, to Atlanta as well um, in the general Midwest, uh, you know, Southwest area of the country, just because, all right, well, that's that's the team. Never, not yeah. to mention, obviously, they have a large television network that uh, was backing the big them. Thing there with the TBS was <laughs> yeah. one of the four channels that he got, and so <laughs> yes. he was watching watching Braves games a lot. Fell in love with uh, with Murphy and all the other folks from the terrible teams of the eighties. Yeah, but you got yours in the nineties. So oh, yeah, fun. for sure. You're there We're like every now. year. You're like there We're, every year. <laughs> We're good now. So that's what's important. <laughs> now, as far as your fantasy career goes, um, tell me about the worrying trends going on in your life at the moment. Oh, I don't want to worry about that. No, no, that's terrible. Nobody wants to hear about that. It um, is concerning. <laughs> I think you're alluding to something different than what I was alluding to. Um, now that I realize that we had talked about this off air right before, um, I guess the thing I guess I need to worry about the most is how many teams I may be managing throughout the course of this coming season. The other half of that worry, obviously, is I might not be managing any of them, um, unfortunately, as we are recording this with bleak, um, bleak expectations of the negotiating table but let's let's put that aside um if you don't mind let's put aside the terrible terrible you know lockout you know possible strike um coming looming negotiations so we'll have some baseball this year we'll have some baseball so yeah i have uh i'm gonna get right to it I'm, i'm planning on managing 25 fantasy baseball rosters um and that is not so that you know i realized i i listed all these out for you austin and i realized that it does not include any and all best balls that i might jump into and that's actually best the balls only, barely count exactly you, you don't only, manage those you just draft them well the only yeah the best balls that i might do are i haven't done them yet uh well uh technically i technically the raz slam is a best ball but there is two fab periods the cut line style league in um on the nfbc format so i did count that one so that is part of the 25 uh yeah so 25 i'm looking at you're looking at me with worried eyes uh <laughs> that's a lot buddy that's a lot i i am i joined a second dynasty league this year uh which puts me i believe it five at the moment 
Um, and that was a consideration in and of itself was, can I reasonably, you know, put enough effort into keep up with five leagues? And I'm like, you know, I think I can manage it. I think I can do it. So, I mean, here's the thing. All right. So not, I don't, I don't I do the list in front of me. All right. So this is my largest portfolio um, going into this year. I think last year I was at close to like 15 or so, maybe a little bit more than that. The ones I added though, are are mostly draft and holds so i've got nine draft and holds so these are leagues of course that you don't have to do any you can't do any pickups in season there's no fab um it's just set your lineup and they're on the nfbc format so these are setting your lineups twice a week well sending your lineups twice a week sending your pitching staff once a week um and that's not to say that there's not a lot of effort and time that has to go into that looking up matchups you've got 50 players on your roster so you got to make sure you're putting in the right ones um and you know switching out people for injuries and 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 just different platoons that you might see what have you but it's still not a daily league where you're making moves every day like you set your roster you set your lineup and you're stuck with it for at least three or four days if not a whole entire week um so there's that um i do have on the nfbc format i do have i will have five fab leagues which is that alone is is quite a bit um if you know you're taking it seriously the beauty of it is that it's on the nfbc format and doing fab on the nfbc format for those who don't play on it much nicer is so much nicer than pretty much anywhere pretty much anywhere like yeah the the way they've set up their ranking system is just it's just the way you do your waterfall bids and the way you do like you can um you know you can see your watch list for multiple leagues you just set a watch list and you can see it on every league so you can just add those to each bidding um based on what you need i do play most of my leagues on yahoo and i really like yahoo's general setup and everything like that but boy oh boy playing in fab leagues is a bit of a it's, I don't want to call it a headache. It's just a little bit of a chore where it's like, okay, I'm putting in six bids for this guy uh, and six bids for that guy because now I want to make sure that I drop the correct person. Right. And that's the, like, that's uh, the key, right? But if I get this guy, I don't want to drop this guy, but if I get this guy, I don't. Yeah. The, the, mm-hmm. Here's the thing about Yahoo. I love, I actually love Yahoo. I've played, I started playing fantasy baseball on Yahoo in 2001. My home dynasty league still plays on it. It's great. The daily moves league though. There's no fab. It's fastest finger. Um, and so it's like whoever gets there, um, that's it. And no waivers or anything like that, except unless somebody new comes up, uh, like a new player is added to the pool. They go on waivers. Um, but they almost everything Yahoo does is directed at the daily player, the player leagues that do daily uh, lineup changes, daily acquisitions, what have you. Um, and so if you try to do a weekly league on Yahoo, there are a lot of hiccups. So like you got to do, you have to actually do your fab on Saturday night. If you do a weekly league and we learned this actually in the, um, Pitcherless podcast network league that we did last year, uh, I instinctively set it to be fab on Sunday because that's when you do fab. It was a weekly league. The problem was when you picked up a player on Sunday, they got added to your roster on Monday, but they you couldn't use them until the following week because it was a weekly league. And Yahoo wasn't willing to kind of make that uh, adjustment. Um, so we had to change the fab period to Saturday nights, which 
is ridiculous because fab is done on Sundays. And so plenty of people forgot to do fab on Saturday. And it was a, uh, it was interesting, but I do like, I, I like Yahoo a lot. It's pretty customizable. Um, and like I said, we've been playing on it. We've thought about moving it to a different uh, platform, but our, my home dynasty league, uh, but we've, they, all the leagues are connected really well. Like you can go back and look at, you know, past, past uh, um, information like schedules yeah. and, and just teams and how they did and all that. So um, I, I'm, I'm a fan in general. Absolutely. Yeah. Yahoo is at this point, my preferred, the new dynasty league I joined is on fan tracks and I'm excited to do that. I've never played on fan tracks before, but I've always heard good things. So I'm excited to kind of see how that is in season. Yeah. The, the draft was really smooth. So, my other dynasty league is on Fantrax. It's through. It's a pitcherless community dynasty league, um, and uh, it, it's it's great because it's super customizable and the player yeah, pool sure. is extensive. Um, so that that part is awesome. Um, Fab on Fantrax is not the best. Um, oh, and this, luckily, this is just a fastest finger for us. Yeah, <laughs> which for a dynasty league is a little weird, but is what it is. Now, how long has it that you've been with PitcherList? It's been it's been a few years now, right? Yeah, I got I jumped in I jumped in in like November December of 2019. Okay. So yep. just in time for the shortened 2020 season. That was perfect, perfect. timing. Um it was funny cuz I um so I I joined one of Justin Mason's satellite TGFBI leagues in the 2019 season. Um, and at, they were on fan tracks. I think they're still on fan tracks now. Um, and I ended up winning that league, which was awesome. Cause I'm like, Oh, I just, I wanted to do TGFBI. And then, so I won that league and that's what you win. That's prize is you get to play in TGFBI the following season. Um, and then I went ahead and applied for pitcher list and Nick Pollock brought me on and, I felt bad because I negated the prize that I won from the satellite league because I was now I was in the industry and I was able to produce content and I qualified for TGFBI just for producing content. I didn't have to win the league. So I felt bad because it was a neck to neck. It was a, it was a, it was a difficult league to win. Um, and I won it in like the last like three or four days of the season. I hurdled the person in front of me and I have no idea who that person is still to this day. But I hope that they found a way to get into TGFBI at this point. Um, but I do feel bad about that. Yeah, <laughs> but yeah I joined in uh, 2019. Nick seems to think that I applied for QB list, which couldn't be further from the truth. Um, I am I am fully in camp of uh, fantasy football is stupid, yeah. um, and I, I I do play in two leagues. Uh, one of them though is by default. It's the League of Leagues. Uh, through uh, through pitcher list, and that's a three sport league. So I'm playing in a football league by default, but right. luckily we have co managers in that one. So shout out to Adam Sloat, who's my co manager. He does all the fantasy football stuff. He he sets the lineups. He does all the pickups. He'll consult with me like, hey, this is the guy I'm thinking of drafting, and literally without missing a beat, yes, like yes, just do it, just do it. I understand. Go for it. I might ask him a question now and again, but I'm like, just do it. And then I'm in a dynasty fo- fantasy football league with most of the people that are in my fan- my dynasty home baseball league. So that's more of a default. I have to play in this league. I don't have to like it um, <laughs> situation. 
please tell me that your uh, League of League team is something on the lines of Adam and Adam. It's Adam squared. Yes, we Perfect. went with that. Adam squared. Thank you for that. That makes me <laughs> It was between that or too many Adams. Also good. <laughs> so since you've uh, been here, have you had any particular project or article anything along those lines that you've been especially proud of? Um, yeah, let's see. This first year in 2020, I did... I was proud of this for a while. I kind of, I kind of stopped doing it though in 2021, halfway through the season, um, where I was, I did an art, a, a weekly article streaming, uh, talking about streaming stolen bases and how you can find stolen bases on the wire, especially in a head-to-head league, uh, where you're just looking for one or two stolen bases that can help you in that week. Um, I really based that on looking at uh, the pitching matchups rather than the base runner themselves. And the, the pitchers that can actually allow runners more opportunity to take advantage of. Um, so that was really cool. It's called Need for Speed. I'll, I might bring it back next year. I might not. We'll see. Um, and then, but I think, <laughs> silly as it might seem, the thing I'm proudest of from on the writing side is, so I joined the Batters Box team in the 2021 season. And for those who don't know, Batters Box is a daily article that goes out well, every day, uh, recapping the best hitting performances from the day before. And I did one or two of those a week. And with those comes the uh, responsibility of coming up with a fun, uh, the honor, yes, a a fun or punny uh, title based on one of the players that you wrote up. Uh, And it's not just called batter's box. You have to actually, you know, it's, it's in the tag. You can find the batter's box articles, but usually that's an article title that, doesn't say batter's box in it. And we did a competition as a batter's box team uh, run by John Metzelar. Uh, shout out to John. He did an amazing job managing that. Um, and we did a bracket of like all the best names that had come out. And I think I had three or four nominations. So that felt good. But I ended up winning the whole thing uh, with my Kissed by a Rosarena uh, uh, title name. And uh, I was pretty proud of that. John, I wish I had it in front of me. Um, uh, I have a nice little, he, he sent a nice little trophy. Uh, it's a little baseball with uh, like, like with arms and holding a baseball bat. And uh, it was amazing. John, thank you so much. It made my day uh, or made my year really to get that little award. Um, oh yeah. I mean, still to this day, the thing I'm most proud of is uh, my platypus. Oh man. I am so upset about that because I, I i lost in the championship of my staff league last year yeah for oh. anybody who doesn't know you get a platypus in the in the pl staff leagues if you win your league regardless of what level it's at whether you're in the legends league or if you're in the you know the rookie league or whatever um you win a little stuffed platypus mm-hmm. um and what i also remind me what does platypus stand for and why uh, do we pick your list award that you pulverized us there we go and I lost to Chad Young in my league last year in the finals. And it, I was just, I, I wasn't happy to lose in general. But then I learned about the platypus after the fact, and it made me that much more irate. <laughs> oh, yeah. I, I earned mine in 2019, 2018, something along those lines when I won the, um, oh, goodness, the Futures League. Futures League. Okay. Yep. Uh, to earn my way into the top league, the legacy league where I have been ever since and have not made it to the championship because the championship for the past three years in a row has exclusively been between John Metzelar 
and Rick Graham, right? Rick Graham. Yeah. And well, at least you haven't been relegated. That, that's that's the not, key. No, I've I've maintained my position in the top league, which is in and of itself at times a challenge. This last year, I was bad. I think my first picks <laughs> were something along the lines. Uh, I think I took Trevor Story in the first round and um, Cody Bellinger in the second round, and I managed to be middle of the road and just barely miss out on a uh a playoff berth which was kind of a miracle i feel like with those two i should have been destined for relegation so i'm pretty pretty pleased that i was able to at least stay there you go yeah the relegation aspect of the whole staff league thing is amazing um yeah bottom three teams bottom 14 someone's those lines get bumped down a a level and then other the other teams move up and it's it's very much like the premier league right. of um british football if you will football yes it's fantastic uh it's it's stressful at the end of the year when you're like oh no well it, what's what i'm holding out hope for miles if you're listening to this i believe miles determines miles nelson he determines uh the league placement is I didn't win my league, but I am hoping that second place gets some consideration for moving up uh, this year, depending on how many, uh, how much uh, turnover we might have seen in this in the staff levels. Um, so I am hoping that by a technicality, I get some <laughs> some consideration I'm for sure second place. Generally, well, does he said up. don't you know no promises. That. He told me no promises, but you know we'll see what happens. <laughs> I yeah, think he was just looking for a little like bribe under the table like type of situation um, that I didn't catch on to <laughs> early enough. So we'll we'll see. <laughs> yeah, man, you need to you're a little slow on the pickup. Though. I know, right? <laughs> now, outside of the baseball realm, what else do you do? What what do you what do you what do you some hobbies or oh, work things along those lines? My literally in the last two years. My hobby has been staying alive. Um, as as my wife says, like I'm like, Solid. hey, what is uh, what are our plans? And in her words to me, usually are survive. Um, and that's <laughs> I'm not trying to be like too out, out there on that, but um, well, you know, in these unprecedented times, times we uh, well, I mean, we have two kids. Literally, my my life over the course of the last almost two full years now has just been stay home dad. Um, I, you know, I got laid off from my, you know, non pitcher list job, uh, back in April of 2020. Yeah. 2020. And so we determined that it was just best to, you know, stay home. We pulled my, you know, at the time we pulled my daughter from daycare and we had a newborn, um, or at least a couple months old, uh, son. And so my, literally my hobby is just, was just making sure that they stayed alive every day, uh, yeah. which so far so good. Um, we've well been, done. We've that been is successful. in and of itself an accomplishment. <laughs> I just got a, I, I, I've had a puppy now for the last three, four weeks and uh, boy, oh boy, that is, that is a lot of work. So I, I, I can't imagine what two human children uh, must be. I, I don't blame myself, but I also, we also had two cats. Um, we no longer have two cats. We only have one cat. Uh, we still have the two human children. Um, and one cat, so a seventy-five percent success rate is still pretty good. Um, and so hopefully uh, we can continue. I can continue that in the you know the larger sample size. The better that seventy-five percent looks, right? Oh, yeah. Um, 
So, I mean, yeah, that's, I mean, over the last at least two or three years, that's been my thing. But um, in general, like what I'd like to get back to is, you know, just literally just playing slow pitch softball. I'd like to get back into a slow pitch softball league. I was doing that on a regular basis for the last, I don't know, since college. So since like 2001, um, you know, I played little league. I never played high school ball. So slow pitch softball was the, the highest level ranking that I, I would probably ever get to. And I, there are very few times where I've been happier than being on that field uh, playing that game. So I'd like to get back to that. Um, in my my use, as, I, as, I, as the kids say, uh, I will... I will dabble more, more so than dabble in just regular rec adult league sports in general. So back all the way back in college through my Boston days, uh, I, I, I helped grow and organize a, uh, an organization at this point. Um, I'll go back and say it was an organization called the Dizzy Llamas. Um, and we organized over a hundred people. When we moved to Boston, we grew this, basically this team that we would play all these different rec sports in college. And we moved to Boston and we ended up growing it and playing in like the adult rec leagues run by, you know, co- you know, corporations or whatever, um, rather than schools. And we ended up growing the organization to over like a hundred people and basically taking over all these different rec league organizations um, under the same name of the Dizzy Llamas. Uh, and we did our own events on the side and it was, it, it was just like, it was our own personal social group um, that we actually got to, you know, go out and do athletic things and, you know, hopefully stayed a little bit in shape through our twenties um, and have a ton of fun doing it as well. Um, moved that out to Oakland in the form of just my softball league, just kept the name and ended up uh, doing some dodgeball leagues out there as well under the same name. So we were Dizzy Llama West in Oakland, Dizzy Llama East in Boston. And then uh, the co- the founder's uh, sister moved to Nashville and she founded Dizzy Llama South. And so we technically we have three chapters um, across the across the country. So that's pretty that's pretty <laughs> that's pretty fun. That's lovely. I love that. That's fantastic. Is there any particular story behind Dizzy Llama? I know one of our supporters, uh, Little Piranha, was asking about that. Yeah, that was a good question. Um, It's been so long. Like the team was founded in 2000, where the name was founded in 2001. So I I really had to rack my brain about how that came about. And from what I remember, um, there's a strong possibility that it just came about. what all right, here's what I remember. And Nick Pollock, this is where you just turn off the show. Um oh, yeah. I if I'm not mistaken, somebody in our little group who is starting the team said that they understood the Zilama to be a weird sexual position. That I see your face <laughs> did not see me coming with that one. Um, and I won't get into any details because I don't think I remember the details. Um and so better off that way. Yeah, yeah. I, I don't necessarily know that it's true, um, but that's what she said. And that was the last thing I remember as being one of the arguments for the name. Um, and it, we went with it. I mean, we got a cr- cool logo. It's an actual somebody. We had a pretty um, standard look. If you actually go to at Dizzy Llamas Twitter handle, uh, that one, I'm 99% sure. I looked it up earlier today. Last week was back in 2015, so it's not very active. Um, but that logo is the old logo. It's an actual llama with some stars around its head. Um, and then it got upgraded 
when we when I moved to Oakland, California, and they started upgrading um, the the organization in Boston, we upgraded the logo as well. So it was a actual like more of a not cartoonish, but more of a more of on the cartoonish side of a logo, a Dizzy Lama's head with his tongue sticking out, and more like three D stars around his head. So that's the one that I um, I helped grow a little bit more on the West Coast. So I'm uh, I'm a fan of that. So. I don't hold me to that's where the name came from. I just like to think that it's just, it's an animal with a weird, funny name. Uh, and I'm going to run with that. And I end up, I end up bringing that name to like different, um, different b- baseball leagues. So like my aunt new league that I'm in, I named that aunt new team. That's the Dizzy Llamas. Uh, so I'm in the PL aunt noobs league. We started that like three seasons ago with players that had not played not new yet, um, through awesome. the fan graph site. Uh, and obviously you know, we're not noobs per se anymore. We've been playing it for two full seasons. Um, but uh, at least we all kind of stay, we all started on the same footing uh, for that. So that is the Dizzy Llamas there. Um, and then usually now, my I do staff- have a question on that. Uh, are you aware that if you Google Dizzy Llamas, the first thing that comes up is actually a uh, bar and nightclub in Navasota, Texas that was founded in 2012 I think you might have a case here. I, I believe that there's another one in like England or Scotland or something like that as well. Um, because when I'm pretty sure they might have the website um, and it's either the Dizzy Llama or Dizzy And we ended up having to get a different, a slightly different website URL, which is no longer active um, because of that, that already existed. So I don't know, they might not exist anymore either. Um, but uh I did not. I was not aware of the one in Texas, so we might have to we might have to make some phone calls. <laughs> Man, there's a, there's definitely a case to be had there, but we might have to get into that after our break. Here, we will be right back, and we are back now. I want asked you what you wanted to talk about as far as baseball stuff goes. You go really just grand scale here. You want to talk about just baseball memories and how we can kind of connect them to the real world, which is just so wholesome. <laughs> that's that's what I aim for, right? Just wholesome, wholesomeness. Um, yeah, I mean, it's hard, man, because it's like you asked me, what do you want to talk about baseball? It's like there are so many different subjects you can, and there's so many different avenues you can go down that rabbit hole, um, if you will. And I mean, when I, when it really comes down to it with baseball, like it, it comes down to like the memories that I've created revolving around baseball and why that is so much stronger for me than any other sport that I've followed, um, throughout my youth. Hey, Alex Fast here, and thanks for listening to this podcast on the Pitcher List Podcast Network. If you're a fan, consider supporting all of us by getting a PL Plus subscription, where you're going to get an ad-free website and get access to our Discord, where you can talk to all of our podcast hosts and staff. Plus, you can hang out with our incredible Pitcher List community. It's basically a baseball sanctuary year-round for as low as $8 a month. You can sign up at PitcherList.com backslash plus, and you're going to get your first month free with promo code podcast also don't forget to check out everything else we do as well from youtube videos live streams newsletters off-season articles tiktoks breakdowns over 15 baseball podcasts on our network we can't stop talking about baseball even during the off-season so sign up for pl plus today at pitcherlist.com backslash plus and use promo code podcast to get your first month free all right 
Thanks for listening. Let's get back to the show. And throughout, you know, even today, um, and everywhere I've gone has been connected to baseball in some way, shape, or form. Even if I've like kind of made it connected, um, and like, like the thing I joked about with you off air is like the reason I remember my sister's birthday, which is October 27th, is because that's the day the Red Sox won game four of the 2004 World Series. Uh, you know, obviously their first World Series since 1918. Um, and so, not true. I, I re- Sam, I remember your birthday uh, before that. Um, but it, it just so happens. So like that's It helps me connect the two things together. Yeah, it's just... Just to just convenient, you know, and it and it just I revolve like when somebody asks me about like, hey, where were you, you know, at this like at this point in your life? Usually, my mind goes back to all right, well, what was happening in baseball at that time? Okay, I know what I have a general sense of what year that happened in. Um, like I have a general, I, I know when the '94 strike was. Like I remember, you know, a couple of years after that, the the whole home run, the home run saga, uh, with McGuire and, and Sosa and um, and what have you. So that combined with, as a Red Sox fan, obviously 2004 stands out um, in a big way, and the memory and the connecting tissue to my life events around that. Um, when I moved to Florida, um, I moved to Florida to work for the Toronto Blue Jays in an internship with their, you know, um, high A affiliate and spring training facility down in Dunedin, Florida, 2006. I know where I was for the entire 2006 season. Um, and so that is connected to that with I know how old I am based on, obviously I know when I was born, but like I'll connect that with what was happening in baseball at that time. Um, and it's just when you grow up um, as a fan of the sport, I find that it's so much easier to kind of like make the connection between what's happening in baseball, whether it's professional baseball, little league activities, um, your high school team, college, minor leagues, independent ball, whatever it is that you kind of connected with. Um, there's, there's a lot going on. And since seasons are so long as well, major milestones happen throughout the course of a year. They can make those connections with, I don't know if you feel the same way. I know everybody that we live in a bubble, obviously in the pitcherless community. Um, we all love baseball for various reasons. And uh, I think one of the main reasons that I, you know, I love baseball is just the, the, the things I've been able to connect with it throughout the course of my lifetime. Absolutely. Um, I mean, I can easily think back on, you know, so many different weird one-off stories of the time I left a game at Wrigley uh, in the, like, seventh inning. Braves were way ahead. My buddy and I went. It was raining horribly. And then the Cubs come back from, like, a like nine-to-nothing deficit in the tenth inning. And... From then on, he and I both uh, have said we're never leaving a game. No, no, ever, ever again. (laughs) The Um, only time that I, the only memory I have of leaving a baseball game early for a good reason. uh, No, there's two. One was was like one of the first games that I brought my daughter to. Um, She wasn't even a year old. And it was, we we sat, I sat as close to the field as I could. And again, this is a baby. I've got her covered, but this is in the middle of the summer in Oakland, no shade. 
she's going to get a huge sunburn. Uh, yeah. And so we had, a, we left in like the eighth, I think. And she's, she also fell asleep for half the game anyway. She's not even a year old. Yeah. Um, and then another time I went up to Chicago and went to a White Sox game. Um, yes, I say Chicago weird. Um, Chicago? Yeah, I know. My wife gives me a hard time about it all the time. And I can't, I can't. As a native of Illinois, I am offended. offended. <laughs> Sorry, I'll try not you to say, say Illinois. I'll just say Windy City. Okay, is that is that better? Yes. <laughs> maybe just maybe just pronounce things correctly. That and the word licorice. I say licorice wrong. Say I say licorice with a W. I don't. Know, I don't know where it comes from. It's not a weird accent. It's not like a Western Massachusetts accent. Um, it, these are just two words that my wife will not let me live down. Um, I've gotten better about saying She's licorice. Right. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't say she was wrong. <laughs> anyway, went to see the White Sox game and um with with my like met up with my cousin who lives there and uh and and we brought our our, our daughter and my uh she's still young and my wife got peed on. Um and so we had to leave early uh, for that one. <laughs> Which was unfortunate. Yeah. Uh, I think you know, I had that one at Wrigley. It was late April. It was about 33 degrees and constant heavy misting coming from the sky. Uh, it was awful. There's the worst conditions I've ever gone to a game in that hadn't. Yet there was never a rain delay. At some <laughs> it was, there were, I think, six errors between the teams combined it was terrible but they did not put a rain delay on because i think it was the only time the braves were going to be in right uh chicago and so they wanted to just know do everything they could to get that game in sure let's get it in yeah (laughs) the other time i left the game early uh my family had gone down to atlanta um on vacation and we were at i believe this was still at turner um it was about 105 um, outside, and apparently on the field, it was, they had measured the temperature at 118. And so the it was really neat. You know how... <laughs> the neat. Uh, I don't know if know that's the word I would have used. Uh, oh, yeah. Very neat. Um, you know how at a ballpark, you, you get a bottle of water, and it's going to be like $48? Thereabouts, yeah. Give they or take. Were, they were handing out bottles of water because people were literally passing out on the sidewalk we and we were mostly doing all right we would get up every now and then from our seats to go get some shade get some water things like that and uh the the kicker was when a uh 20 something girl girl in front of us just walking along with her dad just collapses out of nowhere and my mom's like nope (laughs) nope we're done we're down there my dad and i go what are you an uber and it's like no no come on let's go <laughs> i think my dad and i cruised around trying to find like fud ruckers or something while listening to the game on the radio <laughs> it was great um but yeah i definitely understand you know taking real life events and connecting them to what was happening in baseball because it's such it's it sounds so weird to non-sports fans but for all of us like at Petulous, it's a big, big part of our lives. I imagine that 
the even though you may not be a Chicago Cubs fan, um, I imagine the birth of your daughter and the Cubs winning the 2016 World Series are fairly connected in your mind. They are. I was. I, I joked about the fact that my uh, when she was born, obviously that year the Cubs won the World Series, and of course she no. There were plenty of generations that have never known the Cubs as a World Series champion. And if she had any consciousness <laughs> at that age, she would literally know no team except for the Cubs <laughs> as a World Series champion. Um, so that was uh, that was interesting to, to, to think about at the, at the time. Absolutely. Yeah, it's it is just kind of fascinating how just not even from a sports perspective, just how humans will attempt to connect things in their life in order to get a better hold on time. Because I think in general, humans are bad at uh, perceiving time, even in their own lifetime. The the fact that, you know, um, what's, what's the classic example that the Mayans were alive at the same time as like, whichever European, um, whichever European civilization and famous person. And it's like those two don't match up at all because of those uh, difference in technology. But humans in general are just so bad at perceiving time, I think, that it's natural to try and take something in your life that is a constant and kind of graft it onto those memories in order to better organize them. Oh, especially recently, like, all time is a flat circle, right? It's like mm-hmm. everybody, like I have no, what day is it? Like, I don't know what day it is most of the time. It has to do with obviously my personal life and where I'm at, but yeah, um, yeah being able to connect what was happening, a big aspect of my life, and then be able to kind of work backwards from that regarding how old I was, what else was happening in my life as a general sense, um, and be able to tie it back to a major event there's other major events that I connect things with, but it does seem as though baseball has a lot to do with it. Honestly, there, there are times where I connect back to like my home dynasty league. And I've like, we started in 2001. I've won four of those championships and I will connect back to those years that I won those championships to what else was happening in my life. So it's like, it's not just like obviously real baseball, but it's fake baseball too. That's awesome. Yeah. I might, <laughs> My home league has been going since, I believe, uh, 2010 now. So we're pushing our 13th season, which is kind of crazy. Um, just made up of a bunch of my friends from high school, along with teachers from that high school, because my dad taught at the school. And so we were able to kind of combine the two. It's It's very weird to have a league of your former teachers. Yeah. Um, oh, I, along with your former classmates. I remember vividly of my like high school AP biology teacher. This was, so this was in like 98 or 99, um, Mr. Joseph. And he would, I realize now he was playing fantasy baseball. Um, and he would always have these, this like chart on the wall that he would tape up every day and of like baseball teams and, and, and stats and all that. And I realize now that he was just playing old school fantasy baseball 
uh, where, he, you know, he was, wasn't using Yahoo. He was just doing it either over the phone or, you know, through other communication methods with his league mates. Um, and it makes me love him even more uh, to this day. <laughs> That's so cool. Yeah, I definitely had teachers, uh, like my seventh grade math teacher uh, was a big baseball fan. And so a lot of the extra credit uh, for little quizzes and stuff like that would be nice. Here, here are, here is this guy's stats, uh, work out for me what his on-base percentage right, is. Right, right. Yeah. So it was, I love it when teachers are able to kind of inject their own, uh, passions into their work. My, both my parents were teachers. Uh, dad still is. So I grew up always having a parent at my school. And so they would know when I was in trouble before I would, it was great. <laughs> um, and by great, I mean hard. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, baseball is just one of those things that's, it's always there because like you said, the season is most of the year um, from, you know, spring through early fall. We only don't have baseball during late fall and winter. It's so it's, a constant to just, you know, have something going on all the time as far as baseball goes. I mean, um, and then as you get, as you get, garner like other avenues of baseball, you realize there basically is baseball all year round, whether you're following, you know, Dominican Winter League or the Arizona Fall League. Um, yep. When it was happening in, closer to like in October and now it's closer to September. Um or whether it's the winter meetings happening or, you know, the GM meetings and actually news actually happening, which obviously we don't have this year um, so much. Um, but you typically will see, you know, all the way up to pitchers and catchers reporting. And of course, growing up in, in Boston, we always had truck day as well, uh, where it was a whole big holiday basically revolving around literally the truck leaving Fenway Park full of all the gear going down to Fort Myers uh, on their way to spring training prior to pitchers and catchers reporting. Um, and it was uh, obviously a big deal. People would come out and see the truck off. Like the truck was a real person um, or like some famous person or whatnot, but it was uh, I can honestly say I've never heard of truck day. Yeah. <laughs> it was, this, it was that's fun a time one for me. That's awesome. Oh man. Yeah. I think, I think that we try to try our best to, you know, solidify a lot of these big memories. Like for me, having being a Braves fan and having just secured a championship, the Oh, did you win? Enough, did you win a championship? Uh, yeah, 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 for sure. I heard. Yeah. Very much so. Yes. Uh, you should uh, you should definitely, you know, be kinder to me for it because <laughs> the team that I have decided is my team is better than the team that you decided is your team. At so, this moment, uh, yes, yeah, I have no yeah. argument. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, oddly enough, the the memory that sticks out to me most is not clinching the World Series win. It's actually clinching the World Series birth, beating the Dodgers in that game six, my, my wife and I had very suddenly been invited by a couple of our friends out to a cabin in um, the mountains of North Carolina, uh, Black Mountain area near Asheville. And I was very lucky that it had Wi-Fi, um, but 
we went out there and basically just spent one night there just hanging out in the mountains and went to a brewery out there. It was great. And um, we would, I was watching the game at the brewery with my friend and my wife and we got home and we're in this little, you know, room with no windows because cabin on the side of a mountain. And I distinctly remember just sitting there as my wife is trying to fall asleep and I've got my laptop up watching the last couple innings just on the edge of my seat as you would just so anxious and so excited um and after the final out uh my friend who had I thought had gone to bed uh, came down and just shouted through the door Congratulations. I was like, it's so good. Next <laughs> next morning enjoying coffee out on the uh out on the patio looking over the mountainside, just like soaking it all in. Yeah. This is <laughs> this is good. So it that's easily my most distinct memory of that postseason. Um so so much fun just to have that like that experience of that this little weekend trip sort of thing with friends just solidified by a important baseball thing as well. So I I definitely, you know, understand where you're coming from as far as that goes. My, my, uh, my big event or group event um, with friends revolving around baseball actually did revolve around baseball and not an actual trips anywhere. But of course that goes all the way back to 2004 when Red Sox won their first world series since 18, you know, we sat out, side Fenway for tickets to game four of the ALCS. Um, of course, anybody who's actually not aware at this point, the ALCS in 2004 is the only, uh, the only time in a seven game series in which a major league baseball team has come back from an, being down Oh three as the uh, spoiler alert, Red Sox came back and beat the Yankees um, in game seven of that series. So we sat out, me and my buddy got in there first, uh, my buddy Pat, and we got in line um, for there. Now most stadiums, if not all stadiums always have tickets for day of games, regardless of it's regular season or postseason. they hold tickets. Um, mostly what it is, is that they're player ticket tickets that players would have that they didn't use. They didn't give them out to people and they, players would give it back to the stadium and then they would sell them day of to fill the seats. Um, there are other seats that they hold as well, but regardless, sometimes there's 40 tickets. Sometimes there's 400 tickets depending on the stadium and how popular your team is, et cetera, et cetera. Obviously Red Sox at this stage just, you know, lost in the ALCS uh, the year before to the Yankees. This was a big deal. So the line was really long. We got there before game three started. And so we got to the back of the line for people waiting for tickets for game three line moves up, line moves up. And all of a sudden they're like, all right, we're out of tickets. And the line keeps dissipating. People are leaving. We're just moving up. We're just moving up. We're just moving up. And then we get to the ticket window. We just stop. And they're like, Hey, we're out of tickets. I'm like, that's cool. You have tickets for game four still. And they're like, well, yeah. I'm like, all right, we're just going to hang out. And so we literally spent all of game three standing outside of Fenway park. Um, and we, there were, I think we counted roughly around 250 to 300 people waiting in line for tickets for game wow. three. By the time game three was over and they had lost and gone down 0-3, uh, the line for game four tickets probably got up to about 40 people. 
Um, so obviously there was some um, disheartened fans out there. We decided to stick around for about 30 hours. I cheated a little bit. I had to work. And so as all of our other friends joined us, I left, went to work, worked the shift. And I came back. It was a late shift. So I think I came back around like 1230, 1 o'clock in the morning, stopped at Krispy Kreme Donuts, grabbed two dozen donuts, walked to Fenway, walked back to Fenway, gave all the donuts to the people behind me. <laughs> as okay, I, I'm sorry. I swear I was here before. I'm going to cut in front of you now. And they were fine. There was one person. Um, but it was amazing. Like we played football in the street overnight. Nobody slept. Um, we like, yeah, we played football in the street. Uh, we, you know, played some catch, played some cards. And then the next day comes around and news reporters were coming around asking us why we're waiting in line. Like, you really think there's a chance? Of course, we're all, you know, just you're too tired to like actually give an honest or actual answer. We're all just like, yeah, of course, whatever. We're in our early twenties. We're going to give our, you know, dumbfounded answers. (laughs) We're on camera. We're on the news. Um, But then Jim and then uh, Jimmy Fallon shows up because he is, he had been um, filming fever pitch that season. Um, which was based on the Nick Hornby book about, you know, uh, soccer team or, you know, football team. Um, and they adapted it to baseball as him being a, a Red Sox fan, a diehard Red Sox fan and, and not being able to give that up. And it ruined, well, it didn't ruin the whole movie, but the end of the season screwed up the movie because the idea of the book in the movie is that you're a fan of this team, no matter how bad they do, no matter how many times they break your heart, no matter how many times they lose. And they had to refilm the end of the movie because they won the World Series that year. <laughs> um, and so that was that was funny. So if you go back and watch Fever Pitch, you realize like the last like 15 minutes of the movie is just them recutting a bunch of stuff. Like, oh, yeah. And by the way, we all know what happened. <laughs> like, uh, so he shows up, gives everybody a high five. And yeah, we um, it, I mean, we got dead center uh, tickets, uh, dead center field, like 19 rows up. Great seats, awesome seats, especially to view what we viewed with the, you know, the Dave Roberts yeah. steal and the walk off and all that. Um, and then we did the whole thing again for game two of the uh, of the World Series, um, which we thought, you know, obviously with the momentum that we had, this could possibly be the last chance we have to see a World Series game in Fenway Park ever. Um, obviously, that wasn't the case as a couple of years later they came back, but it was still we had a. Uh, we ended up getting seats behind home plate, not like right behind home plate, but like in that section, yeah. um, in the lower level, but all the way to the back. And me and my buddy got those seats and a bunch of my other buddies ended up getting standing room seats somewhere else. So we splurged and got like the hundred and some odd dollar seats for, you know, to actually have seats. Two rows in front of us was uh, Harold Reynolds. Um, huh. And so my buddy was giving him crap. The entire, well, not the entire game, but a good, a, a couple times because he was infamous at the time for always giving Red Sox fans a hard time on air um, and always kind of downgrading his belief in whether or not they would win and what have you. Um, so he gave him some, some shots <laughs> from two rows back. Awesome. Um, and then Harrods got up and around the seventh inning because he had to go do baseball tonight. Um, and I swear to God, like if my memory is pretty distinct that he had a girl on each arm and he just looks back he looks back at my buddy he's like enjoy the rest of the game and he's like touche touche sir 
In fan. Go go do your show. That's so good. <laughs> uh, baseball's fun. <laughs> it is fun. Now, the other thing you mentioned that we could talk about is why we play fantasy baseball to begin with. And that is a bit of a different discussion, I think. Um, I think for a lot of folks, fantasy baseball is a lot less romantic than just standard, you know, watching the game to walk for the love of the game sort of thing. Fantasy baseball um, is a lot about camaraderie or winning or things along those lines. Uh, a few years back, I think, yeah, when we, did, when we did the first pitch con, I was one of the folks who was on the initial round table with a bunch of managers. And one of the questions that was discussed was, what is your favorite part about fantasy baseball? Uh, what keeps you coming back? And my answer after I was the last one to answer, everyone had given answers. John Metzler, Daniel Port, all those great guys had given answers like, I love the community. I love the camaraderie I have, not only with my old friends that I'm able to keep in contact with from high school, but also the, all the new friends I made from pitcher release in the community, et cetera, et cetera. And it gets to me and I go, I really like winning and beating my friends. <laughs> I, I think I remember hearing this. <laughs> <laughs> And it's true. That's my favorite part. I, I consider myself to be pretty darn good at this game. And I love beating my dad and my best friends from high school and stuff like that. It's fun. I like winning. Um, and so it's fantasy baseball, I think, in general, is such a different beast from like the standard, especially once you get to the level of people who are going to listen to this show that, <laughs> you know, they're guys that play in 25 different leagues i don't know any of those people no those guys are <laughs> friggin' crazy um people who listen to podcasts about people who are in 25 different <laughs> leagues like, like once you get to that level of this is an integral part of my life fantasy baseball is kind of wild uh thoughts sir when i started playing fantasy baseball in 2001 um, it was mostly because my buddy Dave wanted to start a league that he knew would grow into something that was stronger than anything that we could do on the side. Um, this was our uh, freshman year of college. Um, you know, we lived in the same dorm when he lived across the hall from me. And then, so we are, <laughs> it started as a six team league and that is embarrassing. <laughs> no, it's not. No, <laughs> At my, this point, my home it, league started it quickly as a grew, six or 18. Yeah, it quickly well, grew so. to 10 and then jumped to 12. And we've been at 12, you know, for better part of the last two decades. But the idea was, it was the old adage of like, this is something that's going to be able to connect us for forever. Uh, whether we live in the area or not, especially since it's all digital now. Um, this was back in 2001. Obviously, we're doing it in, on Yahoo. And we ended up, wanting, we knew we were going to want to grow it over time and make it as customized to us as a group um, as possible. And we, I mean, we kept some standard stuff. It's just, you know, it's five by five. It's a head-to-head -head, uh, categories league. Um, we haven't changed any of the stats per se, but the rules behind the, the league has really revolved around us as people, the things that us as people have tried to manipulate um, and kind of loopholes that we try to find and we try to close them up. 
But for me, like I was really interested in doing it, not only for that aspect, but because I realized myself as a baseball fan, this was an opportunity for me to kind of force myself to become a better baseball fan and not yeah. just a Red Sox fan um, and learning and I go back and look at my first draft. And that was awful. Um, maybe it wasn't awful. I don't know. I had to go back and actually crunch the stats and what have you. But uh, it was actually a six-team league after all. It's like you can't feel terrible about any six-team league draft that you do. Um, but it was just uh, just having to force yourself to like learn who you know who the third baseman of the Cardinals is. Like who all these other players are. And this is before we added a minor league system and created a true dynasty aspect to the league. And that's the part I remember the most. And that's the part to this day that I love the most about playing fantasy baseball is it it forces you to become more of a fan of the game rather than just a fan of a team or, or an individual player for that matter. Um, That's, that's what I like about it the most. And over the years, I mean, I've involved, I've always been competitive. I've always been a very competitive person, whether it's, you know, in sports live or digital, um, and so like I, I I echo your sentiment. I want to win every year. I will figure out a way to win. And I think the reason I am going out of my way to go to to manage twenty-five different leagues this year has to do with wanting to win as much as possible and also trying to fill a big void in my life uh due to, you know not having a job and, uh, and, and being stuck indoors most of the time, uh, and, and wanting to fill that, fill that, not hole. I don't have a hole per se in my, in my life, but like definitely to fill it with something that I really enjoy doing, um, and with as much as possible. And I realize, you know, as I get older and as time goes by, you realize the things that are most important, and you stop spreading yourself so thin into different areas of like interest levels. Um, like I grew up when I went through college, I ran my college radio station. Um, and so I thought I was going to be in music my entire career. And that was a big part of my life. I still listen to music, but mostly now it's soundtracks to kids' movies. Um, <laughs> and that's not really by my choice per se, but it's I what hope you're enjoying Encanto. I, I didn't. Oh, I, Encanto was good. I, that's a different podcast. Um, Very good, though. Yeah. <laughs> we watched it two days ago for like 23rd time or something like exactly. that. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> my wife is, is similarly obsessed. <laughs> I do have a little pop quiz for you here. Uh, you bring up, you know, who's the third baseman on the oh, Cardinals. In 2001, the Cardinals had a platoon at third base. A Two right-handed players. One played 103 games, the other 55. I have definitely heard of both of these men as someone who was six years old at the time and was not a baseball fan until I was like 13. So... Could you tell me no. who the two third basemen? <laughs> I'm just going to cut to the chase. No, I could not. Um, I remember I drafted Barry Larkin in that draft um, in 2001. Obviously, you know that's Cincinnati, um, but uh, that was the name that always stood out to me when I was looking over my uh, my old drafts of of old. Um, I can't imagine that it would. No, I don't. I don't remember when. Roland came into the league, but I can't imagine Roland was in that platoon. Um, Scott Roland, obviously. Um, 
no, you're just going to have to, you know, you're going to have a bunch of dead air of me thinking, or you're going to tell me the answer. So that's up to you. That's fantastic. Well, we will come back to that so that our listeners can think on it for a little bit. And I'll give you give the answer in just a bit here. Um, a few years ago, in July of 2020, I went on a podcast that was not even a little affiliated with Pitcher List. Uh, one of my buddies had started a podcast about internet culture and conspiracy theories and things along those lines. And because he was a good friend of mine, I went on as a guest and we talked about the juice ball theory. We talked about the Astros cheating scandal and uh, biogenesis scandal and things along those lines. Basically, conspiracy theories of baseball was what we wanted to chat about. Towards the end, though, um, I was asked the question, what is it that drew you to baseball? And why, why are you a fan of baseball? And as someone who only follows baseball and not any other sport, um, I was pretty, pretty pleased that I was able to come up with a fairly poignant <laughs> answer. I went back today and listened to that podcast again for the first time in years, and I was able to find that quote. I'm just going to read it in its entirety, so enjoy that. All right. In response to why are you a fan of baseball, or, or fans of baseball in particular, I said, I really did enjoy getting into the way that you can predict what might happen. Baseball has such a ridiculous amount of randomness to it. All sports do. But baseball is the one where there's the most data available to sift through that randomness. I think there's a natural tendency for someone who wants to try to make sense of the chaos of the earth to move towards something like baseball, and specifically fantasy baseball, where your goal is to figure out which players are going to be better than others, put together the best team, and beat all your friends. There's something so satisfying about taking something so ridiculously random and saying, I was able to figure out who was going to be good a year before they broke out. I think that that's uh, that's amazing. I, the thing that stands out to me, Austin, and it, it, it's not, not what we're going to be expecting, is the fact that how you read that, um, you read it. This is you. You just quoted yourself. I you, did. I quoted myself. You still years later. You still read it, and like it's so weird. I think it's so weird how you can read your own quote and still I knew you were reading it, whether I saw you reading it or not reading it. Just the way your voice changes, even though. It, they're your own words. Um, and rather than the way you've been talking through this entire podcast off the cuff, obviously not scripted or anything. And it, it's just kind of amazing how I, I totally understand it. When you read somebody else's words, you almost want to come off as I'm reading this to make sure it's accurate. And, and, and you know, it's not me talking, but the fact that you're quoting yourself and reading it off and I'm like, that makes it so much more important. <laughs> that's, that's the, uh, it's the theater. Yeah. Theater me, <laughs> that I'm was a amazing. Theater minor. Yeah. <laughs> I, my wife gives me crap because I'm a, I had a biology minor that I started college with a, a biology major in mind. And I created, I, I finished enough uh, um, classes and credits to qualify for a biology minor before I changed my, my major to communications. Um, so I am a communications major with a biology minor. So anytime something comes up, with uh, like my daughter asks about an animal or, or a plant or something like that. She just turns to me and be like, well, you should ask your dad. He's has a biology minor after all. So he's the expert. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> That's fantastic. Now, for those of you who have come up with your answer of in 2001, who was the Cardinals third base platoon? The 
uh, strong side of that platoon, 103 games was played by a 25-year-old Placido Polanco. <sighs> That's the name. short side of the platoon playing 55 games was a rookie, Albert Pujols. Never heard of him. Never heard of him, this guy. In he probably didn't two- do anything. <laughs> ah, no, he was he was pretty pretty garbage in, as a 2001 rookie. He only hit <laughs> only hit 37 home runs, 130 RBI with a 329 4036610 slash. But he was probably he was still playing left field too at that time. He so in 2001, 42 games at first base with McGuire at first. 55 games at third. Uh, 39 in left field, yeah. 39 in right field. So third base was technically his primary position. That was a place he played most of his games at that year. He did. He would not move primarily to first base until his fourth full season in 04. He would play a lot of left field in 02 and 03. But in, in 01, he played yeah, yeah. Uh, the... Not the majority, but uh, if you were to pick one position where he got more uh, playing time than any other, it was a third base. Man, there's some good trivia for you. Yeah, and I mean, I remember in 2004 when he moved to first base, or actually 2003 when he moved to first base for the most part, is only because I read this book. Um, it's called Three Nights in August about the uh, um, Cubs and Cardinals kind of um, series. And part of that had to do with when uh, one of the chapters had to do with when Pujols basically got so hurt that he couldn't throw the ball, mm-hmm. uh, but they did not want to take him out of the lineup. So they hit him at first base um, and literally gave him instructions of you better not throw the ball. Like if you catch the ball and someone's running, you better run that ball to somebody else and have them throw it um, because you're, you know, there's no DH. <laughs> yeah. Luckily, a very young Albert Pujols is a fantastic defender. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, in between that uh, 01 season and when he moved there permanently in 04, uh, there was a player named Tino Martinez who manned first base for the Cardinals. I've literally never heard of this man, but 15 home runs, a 273, 352, 429 slash line in uh, 03 there. So. At age 35, that's not too shabby. So, yeah, uh, well well done, Tino. Never heard of you, but productive at 35. Oh, Tino. Good old Tino Martinez. But, yeah, fantasy baseball, baseball, it's all good. It's fun. I like it. Let's keep doing it for a while. How's that sound? Yeah, let's let's cross your fingers. (laughs) Yeah. I think we'll get more games this season than we did in 2020. That's a good, that's, that's a good over under. I, I, I'll take the over on that. I'm still, I'm still keeping the uh, positive vibes flowing. My guess is 95. Okay. 95 my guess for how many games we get. In I mean, I like to see the over on that obviously, but oh, um, I'd love to see it. <laughs> I'd love to get 140. Well, by the time this this episode airs, um, we'll have a better sense of uh, if there are any games that are going to be missed um, in in the season. So we'll be able to get closer to that actual number of 95. Fingers crossed. Well, we'll move on now to our mailbag portion of the podcast where we do like to answer your questions on the air. So 
send those questions over to me and my guest. You can, like I said, you can send them directly to me on Twitter. I am at Bristowski. Better yet, I ask every week for questions on our PL Plus Discord server. We can grade your trades. We can offer analysis on a play you've been wondering about or answer any other number of inquiries, baseball-related or otherwise. Speaking of or otherwise, Alex Drennan, one of our uh, one of our colleagues here at Pitcher List on the staff, wants to know, Adam, what's your favorite beer of all time? Now, for those of you who don't know, I don't know that it was brought up yet. Adam, you worked in breweries for a good chunk of your life. I did. I'm, uh, when I moved to Oakland, um, I've been working in restaurants and I deter- I decided I was going to move on from tending bar and serving tables and move into a more of a management full-time role. Um, and I ended up getting my salaried manager career, if you will, in restaurants at a brewery called Pyramid Breweries. They're based out of Seattle, but they had a their production brewery down in Berkeley, California. And so I started working there and I've been working, that was in 2008. Yeah, late 2008. And I ended up staying in the brewing industry on the restaurant side of things, on the pub side of things, not brewing beer. Um, through until about 2017 or 18. Um, oh no, 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 no. Later than that. Uh, 2019. Yeah. 2019. Oh, wow. I finally, yeah. <laughs> uh, and so yeah, I've been working in breweries and, and the good chunk of the time that I was doing that was, um, my, my number one focus was to teach my staff about beer to make sure that the wait staff and the bartending staff could then articulate and, and, and teach the the customer base of the guests that come into the restaurant about not only the beers that we were serving, but beers in general. Um, so I ended up receiving for those who don't know, like there's a program called Cicerone. Um, and I ended up getting the second level, uh, Cicerone, tr- uh, certification. Uh, so I'm certified Cicerone. Not, uh, the, the first level is like, that is actually very impressive. Yeah. <laughs> um, and that was a long time ago, though, so I'm sure a lot of that has worn off. But um, it, I was very proud of it. I got a little, I got a little patch. I got a little pin, um, so I got to show that on my lapel. Um, so that's nice. And tried to kind of push that onto the all the different staffs of different breweries that I've worked at: uh, Pyramid Breweries, uh, Drake's Brewing out of San Leandro and Oakland, California, um, and then over in Indianapolis, spent some time with Upland Brewing out of Bloomington, and then uh, Taxman Brewing out of Bargersville. Uh, just south of Indianapolis, and over throughout that time, um, I, I mean, I, I'm not particular per se as far as like the style. Like, there's not a, like a style where I would say I won't drink that style. I do stray away currently to, to the the milks, the milkshake IPAs, mm. and a lot of the hazies. Not it's a combination of like they're just overdone and the honestly, I'm not lactose intolerant, but like the milkshake IPAs do not settle. They did not. <laughs> They do not like me that that much. I also just don't care from like it's just almost too much. I actually over time I've I've learned that I prefer a cleaner beer. Um, I was one of the few people that I think that really enjoyed this. Uh, I don't think it's very popular anymore, uh, but a, a recent new style called a Brute IPA uh, started out in the Bay Area. It was it's an IPA that was brewed with uh, champagne yeast, so it's obviously very clean or very crisp, um, and very dry. Um, and so different than obviously a dry hopped IPA, but this was a very dry 
flavor. Um, and I, I really enjoyed that for some reason. And I talked to a lot of other people in the brewing and they did not like it. <laughs> so I was uh, on the out, outside for that. But if I had to really narrow it down, my go-to, and I can't find it very often, um, is a Schwartz beer. Um, so it's a black lager. Um, you might see it as a black lager on a label, um, but the original style is a Schwartz beer. Um, very crisp, very clean, it's and very, but you still get the roastiness flavor from those dark malts, those chocolate malts that are usually utilized in that in that style of beer. Um, and a lot of that is is to do with memory as well. Is me and my wife got married. Um, the ceremony was out on like the pier of Emeryville, right? Just, you know, just between Berkeley and Oakland, California. Uh, but then we got everybody onto a school bus and transported everybody to the reception, which was at, at the time, Linden Street Brewery in Oakland, California. Um, so literally we got married at a brewery. Um, the brewery, uh, the owner of the brewery, Adam was amazing. He is thus he has since sold that brewery and then recreated a new brewery called, I think it's called Old Can. Um, and highly recommend anybody check them out. Um, not so much Linden Street. They got purchased by a different organization of brewery group or whatever. But anyway, the brewery had, the beer he had, um, was a, the, the, the main beer was a Schwartz beer. We made sure we had it on tap. And so I've always associated that with obviously my marriage and my wedding. Um, and it's just a wonderfully easy beer to drink. Um, and it'll be typically my go-to if I can find it at a liquor store, that, that style of beer. So would you call it crushable as the kids do nowadays? I would. Yeah. I would say the more, more crushable though, or smashable, or would you smash or pass yeah. that? I would smash it. Um, the shout out to Dave Mendy who puts those out all the time. Um, but, uh, the other one I would say is a Berliner Weiss is like on the opposite end. Oh, um, yes. And the, I was very lucky to work at a brewery that was very um, close knit uh, at Drake's Brewing Company at San Leandro. And in 2016, when I was announced that, you know, we're going to have our daughter, the brewery, uh, this they agreed to brew a beer for my daughter not for her that would be weird um but in honor in honor of that's a better way of putting it yeah just edit that out priest um (laughs) in honor of my daughter and we used to always call her and i think a lot of people do this with their kids as they're as they're gestating um they you 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 say how large is the baby now based on fruit sizes um and so at one point you know she was the size of a kumquat and that was the name that stuck regardless if you know she got the size of a grapefruit and all that doesn't matter kumquat and so he made a kumquat berliner weiss bottled like three three dozen bottles for me to like give out to friends and family and then put it on tap at the brewery as well um and so that'll always have a and i drink berliner weisses regardless because they're really low in abv they're delicious um they're not the kind of sour that you get when somebody says a sour beer you think of this barrel aged um sour beer that's either you love or hate Berliner vices are not like that. Like, honestly, it doesn't taste like a lemonade, but like, if you like lemonade, you like Berliner vices. Like that's just the type of tartness yeah. that you get. Um, and regardless of what fruit is in it, even if you just get a straight Berliner vice, um, it's, uh, it's just really, especially in the middle of the summer, it's just oh, it's go to beer to either start your night off with or end your night off with. I, I wouldn't put it in the middle. Agreed. Um, I'm not sure if you're familiar with the app Untapped. Keep track of your 
your uh, beer selections as you go along. Um, I'm a big fan of Untapped. I'm craft beer is probably my one of my favorite like pleasures in life. Just trying different things and finding things you like, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And so I I went through uh, and as you were talking, went through my my top rated beers of all time. Uh, number one for me is Palisades Pineapple from Golden Road out of L.A. Just a delicious pineapple beer. Fruit beers are a pleasure of mine. Like those nice summery fruit beers. I'm gonna like. I, I'm glad you enjoy the beer. Like this is me being just like high and mighty. Like I can't like I, as somebody who's worked in the independent craft brewery business for so long as I did. Um, I stopped drinking Golden Road a long time ago. Um, Reasonable as they are obviously not independently owned and we'll just leave it at that. Yep. Um, and so I appreciate that. Like you like the beer itself. Um, every time, like every time I see a game at, uh, at Dodger stadium, obviously they have this huge, huge golden road, huge sign. golden road. Yeah. Sign. I know they're LA base and all that, but they were gonna, they were gonna put up a beer garden in Oakland, California. And literally there was enough of a movement in the neighborhood to basically force them to not build it um between the local breweries in oakland in the surrounding areas in the neighborhood itself um and i I do not i just i do not believe they ever got that off the ground and that was like five or six years ago Uh, luckily the other three i've listed here i'm pretty (laughs) sure are independently owned um one of the more recent ones i've had is a nitro s'mores stout uh from southern tier out of lakewood uh, New York, so smooth, sweet, so good, very, very rich. Well, if you One like f- nitro, like nitro style beers or whatnot, left hand, I will always go to left hand. Um, it's so classic. And uh, r- whether you get it in a can, a bottle, or if you're lucky enough to actually get it on draft somewhere, um, that's easily go to nitro. Oh, the left hand is just so, so good. Uh, even if you get it out of the can. Do a hard pour. Oh yeah, oh, that's oh that's glass. the key. You gotta yeah. be you gotta trust the fact that you're supposed to just dump it into a glass. Let it yep. all mix together. Let it all aerate. Um, don't don't just you know slowly pour it into a glass. Just dump it upside down and let it fill. It will not overfill your glass. It will it'll be smooth and delicious and it'll fill so your pint glass perfectly. Uh, another nitro from my list. One of the first uh, beers I really loved was uh called nitro rubius from founders brewing out of uh grand rapids michigan uh it's a raspberry beer it's it's basically like pinkish red in color not even going with the standard yellows and browns it's so good and then another one uh this one out of a very small brewery out of urbana called Riggs beer is just their oktoberfest that they did in uh, 2018 they did an oktoberfest with like honey and graham cracker oh i love oktoberfest <laughs> personally and this was the best one i'd ever had yeah oktoberfest is a fan obviously growing up in massachusetts and boston sam adams was you know the go-to oh, yeah. growing up and their oktoberfest was always pretty good um and i mean that was the only craft beer you, you knew. I mean, at that time before everything kind of really blew up, you know, between Sierra Nevada in the West and Sam Adams in the East and Dogfish Head, um, there were very few uh, players in the game. Obviously, you can't 
you know, walk around the corner of your neighborhood without finding a small independent like craft brewery or, or brew pub or whatnot nowadays, yeah. um, which is amazing as long as they okay. continue to, you know, do what they do and do it well and not, you know, do it poorly for the sake of just doing it for the sake of doing it. So more power to all those uh, all those opportunities you have to consume good, independently owned beer. Absolutely. Very, very good. Now, uh, the last question I did have for you here uh, was from <laughs> your good friend and mine, Chris Weber. Um, as the manager of the Pitchless Podcast Network, he was wondering who your favorite underlings are and why they are Jordan White and his self. Now... Um, I did not see this question Chris, until just now. <laughs> Chris, uh, love you, buddy, but boy, oh boy, you sound very narcissistic. <laughs> Chris? No, never. Chris will be the first person that, that downgrade. No, the first person that will downgrade themselves is former podcast manager Trevor Huth. He'll be the first person to denigrate themselves uh, more true. so. He did He did actually <laughs> ask the question. I didn't – I wasn't going to put it in, but now that you mentioned it, uh, he was asking how easy was it to replace the former podcast manager. You know, I don't Trevor. have an answer to that though, Trevor. Like <laughs> I, I, I just applied for the job. I, I took the opportunity and ran with it. And you're allowed to ask Nick and uh, Miles who made the final decision. Um they they didn't seem it didn't seem difficult. I will say that uh, we'll just. I mean, as someone who <laughs> I I have been hosting this show for about three years now. Um, it was the third pitchless podcast that we produced after on the corner and on the barrel. And so I have go, I have done in, done this without a manager. I've done this <laughs> under under Nick under Fast. Uh, under Huth for a while and now yourself. Um, Huth was fantastic. You are doing a great job as well. I do like it better when there is central leadership, I think. I, having someone to ha- kind of organize things, it, it does make things better. It's the motive. It's also motivation. Like Correct. It, I, That's the way I look at it. My role is like, my role is to motivate everybody to put out content as, as often as possible, to stick to a schedule and to, you know, bring up the quality as much as you, you know, you feasibly can in, in the environments in which we do record our podcasts, whether you record in a closet or a big open room or, or with whatever mic you have. Um, and so, yeah, that's the, that's where I, what I see the role as, as far as Chris's question, Schwebzy, um, I think my favorite quote unquote underling, um, is, uh, is Kevin Hastings, my co my co-host on, on the wire, if nothing else, because he's so easy to manage, he shows up, he does quality work and then we talk about it and then he's, and it's all done. He, like, he doesn't give me a hard time. Uh, he, he, he does whatever I write, whatever, uh, script or whatever, uh, outline I put together. He's like, that sounds fantastic. So he's the biggest fan of the show besides myself. And, uh, so Kevin, shout out to Kevin Hastings. Thank you for making my job that much easier as opposed to, uh, Jordan white who, uh, snipes me on my Aaron Ashby shares and I will not forgive him. That's such a good answer. <laughs> You're over there talking about making sure everyone, everything is up to the highest quality as possible on a regular schedule. And I'm over here like, Hmm, I'm really good at regular schedules. <laughs> We're getting better, darn it. Miles is here now and we're going to have a regular schedule and it's going to be great. Yeah, I mean I I mean I I told you this 
um, on the side. Like this show, I think is amazing for the fact that it, it becomes an opportunity for people who read and listen to picture list content for good reason to get to know the people who are putting that stuff out. And you should know who is putting out the content in which you are relying on to win your league, whether or not you believe in their work or not. Like if you want to believe in their work, you should probably know a little bit about the person that in which you are reading about. And uh, hopefully people who listen to me uh, and now know a little bit more about me that either is neutral or helps them in their uh, in, in trusting what I have to say. <laughs> yeah. When Nick and I kind of had this idea a few years back, it was the goal was to get an opportunity so that not only our, our guys, our writers could come on and really bring some attention to themselves and their work, but also so that our our readers could get to know the writer behind the byline. And I think it's been a fantastic run. I'm really excited to have Miles brought on and everything that he's going to bring to the show. Uh, and I'm excited to continue working with you, my manager, Mr. Adam Howe. Mr. Manager. And Mr. Manager. And that is about what I've got for you. So well done. You've, you've I made started, it. You've done it. <laughs> we've, we've finally finally been able to sit down and record together and now it is done its beauty is that most almost all the stuff that we talked about is evergreen so like this can live this episode can live forever and people can go back and listen to the things that we had to talk about and if they're ever curious to know who the third baseman of the 2001 uh cardinals are this is where i'm going to send them like hey listen I have a trivia question for you. You only find the answer by listening to this episode, episode 33 of on the list. Go, go, go. I won't tell you what timestamp it's at. You have to find it. <laughs> so good. Well, alrighty, sir. Thank you so much. One more time. Where can the people find you on Twitter? Uh, yeah. If you're so inclined, you can find me at 80 grade. It's all spelled out. And of course at on the wire pod um, as well for the on the wire show. Um, I would also recommend just following at Pitcherless Pods for all the great shows. And I'm getting into my own my own end of my show, so I'm gonna I'm gonna step away now and Austin let you finish it out. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, thank you so much for joining me, and thank you all for listening. This has been on the list. <laughs>